When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Atlanta, Georgia, and the SEC joining forces this week. College football one week closer to kickoff as some new faces take the stage. Day one of four media days in the city the College Football Hall of Fame calls home. Talking season is underway. The Coliseums of the Southeastern Conference are silent now, but that piece is merely a prelude. The sound of Saturday is coming. In only a few short weeks, parking lots become kitchens. Stadiums become bullhorns. And playing fields become performance stages for Earth's greatest college football players. Heisman Memorial Trophy, Bryce Young. Last season ended with the cheers and tears that came with the ending of a 40-year drought. Georgia is going to conquer the Crimson Tide. But even that jubilation has become an echo. You're either elite or you're not. Replaced now by chatter about the future. Let's go, baby. Between last season and this season, it is time for talking season. I'm seeing some growth in this football team. Can't pick and choose when we want to be great. Today, we all want to hear, what's Brian Kelly got cooking in Baton Rouge? Can the lane train keep rolling, even without the engine that was Matt Corral? And how will Elive Drinkwitz keep rattling old school cages in 2022? In December, the Atlanta stage will be reserved for the SEC champions. But this week, all are welcome. Everyone's record is zero and zero. Everyone has hope. Everyone has equal time at the mic. Our eyes and ears are ready. Welcome to SEC Media Days 2022. LSU first-year head coach Brian Kelly, of course, in Atlanta. Coach Kelly has 75% of his defense returning, but some decisions to make when it comes to his starting quarterback. And speaking of that Lane train, Lane Kiffin entering year three at Ole Miss. Coach Kiffin hoping to build on a 10-win season for the Rebels. That was a first for the Ole Miss program. So much to get to this week at the SEC Media Days, and we are just getting started. LSU, Mizzou, and Ole Miss today with Alabama headlining the festivities tomorrow. Defending national champion Georgia plus Florida and new coach Billy Napier are up on Thursday. And, of course, what might Jimbo Fisher have up his sleeve when he shows up on Thursday? We say hello now and welcome to College Football Live. I'm Wendy Nix, Greg McElroy, and Jordan Rogers joining us from Atlanta as we look now at some SEC storylines, and there are plenty. Georgia beat Alabama in last year's national championship, and according to the All-State playoff predictor, there's a 62% chance the SEC sends multiple teams to the playoff this season. A 
55% chance the conference wins the title. Texas A&M landed the top recruiting class for the first time since we've been tracking those things. Alabama and Georgia right behind 11 SE schools finishing with a top 25 class. Brian Kelly and Billy Napier joined the conference coaching ranks at LSU and Florida respectively. 10 of the 14 head coaches are in their first three years in the SEC. Well, gentlemen, listen, until proven otherwise, this really is the conference to beat. Uh, let's start with you, Greg, and what you expect as we look at a conference that has won the last three national titles. Well, I think what's most interesting about that, Wendy, is that you referenced the last three national champions. There's no repeats. There's <laughs> three different teams, one of which actually has a new head coach because their performance the last two years dipped so much in LSU. So I think when you look at this league more than anything else right now, Jordan, is it's really got a lot of parity amongst teams three through 14. Yeah. Okay, but really the top two in Alabama and Georgia have separated themselves a little bit more. But the pecking order beyond that, I think we're all having a difficult time figuring out. It could be an Ole Miss. It could be an LSU. It could be a Texas A&M. Heck, a lot of people think it could be a South Carolina. But right now, teams really behind Alabama and Georgia, it's as wide open as it's been in quite some time. Yeah, and really top-heavy, right? We know who Alabama and Georgia are. Like you said, the middle of the pack right now, I think is very deep and very strong. There's yeah. question marks, but I think with the SEC showing in bowl season last year, not great, and with the Big Ten as well, I'm not sure you can say the SEC is, is pulling away from, let's say, the Big Ten because do we know that LSU and Arkansas and Kentucky and Florida are that much better than a Michigan State and a Penn State and a Wisconsin? I'm not sure I know that, right? Both conferences are top-heavy and a lot of question marks after that. There is a lot of promise in the SEC, though. A lot of great quarterbacks transferring in, a lot of promise and talent in that conference. We'll see how it shakes out. Well, Greg, you, you said it best. There are no repeats. Three different SEC schools have won the national title. So you can't just say the conference won the national title. They've done it three years with three different teams. Now, let's move now to what was arguably one of the more surprising moves of the offseason, and that's when LSU hired Brian Kelly away from Notre Dame. Kelly hopes to do something each of his three predecessors did at LSU, and that's lead the Tigers to a national championship. He has to choose a starting quarterback. Will it be Miles Brennan and Garrett Nussmeyer, one of those two, or Arizona State transfer Jaden Daniels? Then there's also the highly touted freshman uh, Walker Howard. LSU hoping it can solve its offensive line woes as well. Here is the head coach. For me, uh, all of my attention is focused on our LSU football team. It started with, um, you know, the right time at the right place and uh, a rich history and tradition uh, with LSU football. And so for me, it was then taking on that uh, great opportunity in front of me uh, to be part of uh, restoring uh, championship quality football to LSU. Also, the chance to be part of this incredible conference, the SEC. Um, the challenges uh, that come with that. Playing the great schools, something that I've never experienced in my career of 32 years. So the challenges of being in uh, the greatest conference in college football. Well, Coach Kelly, not to worry. We will learn something straight away. LSU taking on Florida State, Sunday night opener in New Orleans. And the Tigers, by the way, don't leave their home state until October 1st. That's when they go 
on the road at Auburn. Alabama pays a visit to Baton Rouge the first week of November, and LSU closing its season on Thanksgiving weekend at Texas A&M. Jordan, he will certainly learn a lot more of those challenges, so to speak, of the SEC that he referenced. Uh, but look, what are you looking for mostly from Brian Kelly, year one in Baton Rouge? I'm looking for a standard, and we actually talked to Brian Kelly earlier on set after he spoke to the media, and he mentioned the word standard a couple times. When he came into that locker room to the campus at LSU, he looked around and saw more talent than he's seen on a roster, probably anywhere he's been his entire career, and he alluded to that, but he said the standard, the competition on a daily basis needed to elevate, and, and we saw that, right? LSU's talent has never been a question. Their ability in any one game to win against an Alabama, against an overmatched opponent, it's there because they're talent, but it's consistently getting that product week in and week out. That's why Brian Kelly was brought here. Ed Orgeron was able to catch lightning in a bottle with Joe Burrow, but since then he has not. And Brian Kelly has a 10-win season in six of his last seven years. His job is to get an elite product every single week to compete for a national championship. It'll start with a quarterback competition, right. but that's what I want to see out the gate. I don't want to see them play down to a Mississippi State yeah. or to uh, Florida State, week one. Florida State yeah. week one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what you th I think the biggest thing is uh, if they look, if they win the national championship this year, <laughs> one of the most miraculous storylines we've ever heard, their talent on the roster, I mean, I guess it's not totally improbable, but no. when you really look at it, what you want to do year one is you want to ease the transition. He's very different from that of his predecessor in Ed Ogeron. People have mocked the fact that he isn't a fit. He's from Boston, and now he's down in the bayou, and he doesn't fit in. Well, I'll tell you what fits in is winning. And I think, like you said, playing to a standard, the attention to detail, understanding how to prepare, understanding how to carry yourself as a college football player that has aspirations of potentially going pro, all those things are important. But even beyond that, establishing the inroads. Right now, a lot of people are painting him as an outsider. Endear yourself to the people of Louisiana. Endear yourself to the high school coaches that you're going to be trying to recruit from. And then figure out how you're going to make sure that all those schools that used to come into Louisiana and bring in some of the top top-tier talent, Alabama being one, Texas A&M being one, all that top-tier talent in Louisiana has to stay at home. So I think showing progress this year with the attention to detail and the consistent performance, but also the networking that needs to be done to really endear himself to the people that will benefit him down the road by sending players his direction. That makes a lot of sense. Of course, as you, as you also said, nothing's more endearing than winning, especially in a place and a tradition like Baton Rouge. One of the first decisions he'll make is the quarterback decision. Miles Brennan figured to get the nod as the starting QB this season after Max Johnson transferred. But then Jaden Daniels arrived from Arizona State. The former Sun Devil threw for nearly 2,400 yards and rushed for another 700 last season. So, of course, we will all be watching how this shakes out in Baton Rouge. We're, we're really going to have to set the offensive structure in its installation to the skill set of the particular players because number one um, they got to take care of the football number two they got to get the ball to playmakers I've got playmakers on offense um, that that are already in place so they've got to get the ball to the playmakers and number three you know they've got to make plays you know that quarterback so the ultimate decision making on who that quarterback is well he'll have to hit those three notes and and I think all of those guys can do that We'll have to put them in that position so we can evaluate that. Jordan, who should start at quarterback for the LSU Tigers? 
uh, should be Miles Brennan week one. And, and I say that because I think your first job and really the first point that Brian Kelly made was quarterbacks got to protect the football. Jaden Daniels is extremely talented. He can make plays that make you go wow and then he'll make a couple throws. You're like, ah, what are you doing here? Miles Brennan had a hot start to 2020 before he was injured. 11 touchdowns through three games. They struggle, but he's got the ability to push the ball downfield and protect the football. But I do think it's going to hinge on LSU's ability up front with the offensive line. And can they run the football? John Emery being back, Noah Kane, the transfer from Penn State. If they can run the ball, then Miles Brennan, who's not a mobile quarterback, can flourish there and distribute the football. If they can't and they need the legs of an athlete like Jaden Daniels, then that's where maybe a few weeks in you learn that and you go, okay, let's hand it over to the guy that can be dynamite. We'll go through some ups and downs, but our ceiling is much higher with him. Yeah, I think that's so well said. I agree with everything that you said because right now we all talked about it. What was LSU's Achilles heel last year? It was being able to run the football and protect the quarterback. Well, if you can't do either of those two things, you might have to rely on a little bit more quarterback run, which Jaden Daniels can provide for you. And you might have to rely on a guy that can create if nothing else is there within the offensive system. Look, you don't go to the portal and go get a quarterback with legit starting experience. He's already a firmly established starter at Arizona State if you don't have to have him. So I almost think because they went and got him, it indicated that they weren't real confident with their personnel up front, and they might have to make their offense look a little bit different. Now, he also talked about the fact that every quarterback that might step under center for LSU this year, the offense might look totally different with that guy at the helm. So I think it just depends on where they're at, what they do well, and they'll find that out in fall camp. And like what Jordan said, it might actually take a couple weeks into the season to figure out exactly what that is. Important to note, Brian Kelly even mentioned, look, we didn't tailor an offense in the spring to anybody. Right. We installed our base offense, and now that we get to fall, now we'll start to do things a little different for Jaden, right. a little different for Miles, so they'll really be able to evaluate in the next couple weeks just who's going to take over from here on out. And I know one thing. Uh, you think they missed Joe Burrow and Baton Rouge. This is my favorite stat today. He threw 60 touchdown passes in that unbelievable title season. LSU has thrown 56 total in the last two seasons combined since Burrow's record-setting season. I think he did well, guys. I think it went well. <laughs> Up next Pretty on this player. Monday edition of College Football Live, you will hear from Ole Miss head coach Lane Kiffin from Atlanta. What are the Rebels' plans to replace Matt Corral at quarterback? And right now, we've got the Power 5 schools. But what about a Power 3? Find out where Kirk Herbstreit thinks the sport is headed in terms of alignment. leaked tape that led to one of the biggest scandals in sports and changed the NBA forever. A podcast that unearthed it all. This is just like what 2014 was mm -hmm. like. Like there's yeah. a lot of wild stuff happening. And now a Hulu docudrama. TMZ was calling again and again and saying, we have a tape. Do you want to comment? 30 for 30 podcasts presents The Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clips. We reshot the scene and I could barely watch it because it was so uncomfortable. It was tough. A companion podcast to the FX drama in Inspired by the award-winning reporting of Ramona Shelburne, one of ESPN's top NBA reporters, an L.A. native, and someone who has been following the story from the moment it broke. Join Ramona as she sits down with the cast and crew of the show in spoiler-filled conversations and behind-the-scenes reaction to each episode. Man, this is crazy, but these people live these lives every day. Donald Sterling, this was his lifestyle for a long time. Listen to The Sterling Affairs. Let's talk clipped wherever you get your podcasts.
At Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin will have to replace starting quarterback Matt Carell. Vying to do that, USC transfer Jackson Dart and fellow sophomore Luke Altmeyer. Last season, Ole Miss won 10 regular season games for the first time. After losing tons of talent on both sides of the ball to the NFL, how do they duplicate last year? Also gone, both play callers, Jeff Levy to Oklahoma, DJ Durkin, now Texas A&M's new defensive coordinator. Here is head coach Lane Kiffin. Our job is, um, I think, really challenging this year uh, because on paper we may look, you know, like we should be decent because we filled a lot of holes with transfer portals. So that is a good system when you lose really good players and you haven't been somewhere long enough to develop a lot of classes of depth. So we are grateful for that. But at the same time, with everything good, there are challenges as well. As far as the quarterback, um, Jackson coming in, uh, he's young, just like Luke. You know, they just finished their freshman year. And so it was good to have those guys for spring. It's very competitive. We look forward to those guys battling it out and making them both the best that we can. And in the fall camp, it won't just be about teaching X's and O's like it always is. You know, we have a lot of culture work to do. We try to be creative. You know, we kind of have a saying we don't, think outside the box, we just create a new box. And so if that's what kids care about and look at, then, you know, we don't do things the way they were done before. And just, I think that's how we would operate anywhere, but especially at Ole Miss, you need to be that way. Well, this season, the Rebels visit Georgia Tech for just their second meeting with the Yellow Jackets over the last 50 seasons. Ole Miss opens league play with Kentucky, then Vandy, but the schedule takes in a tough turn. LSU, Texas A&M, and Alabama. How's that for three straight games? Former Auburn standout, Takeo Spikes. A warm welcome to you. Glad to have you with us on College Football Live. And that means you get to go first, Greg. You just sit right there. All right, Takeo, <laughs> I'm going to ask you first uh, what you're looking to see from Lane Kiffin. Obviously, they want to take the next step, but this is a very competitive SEC West. As you said, it's a very competitive SEC West. But what I'm looking for when we talk about Lane Kiffin is really just seeing how well can he help his players gel with the new staff, meaning the coordinators on both sides. It's very hard to be able to have sustainability when you have turnover. And I know, notice just as a player, when you have different defensive coordinators or coordinators coming in, the terminology seems to change a little bit. And then sometimes the expectations of certain guys tend to lessen, and then of certain guys it tends to heighten. And from that, I think that's very important because, look, this is a team that went out and got a lot of guys out of the right. portal as well. They did it last year, and they were able to put together a 10-game winning season. No doubt. It was a great year last year. And I'll start by saying this, Wendy. We're glad that is finally on board with us. We wanted him for a long time. But I'm really uncomfortable sitting this close to an Auburn player. i got to be completely honest. Especially an Auburn linebacker, I might add. But that's all right. We'll, sad, we'll, get, past, we'll get past it. Uh, when we think about Ole Miss this year, Wendy, here's where I'm having a difficult time. Because of how many new faces, including the quarterback, as we know that Matt Corral meant so much to them last year, whether it's Jackson Dart, whether it's Luke Altmeyer, it doesn't really matter. I can't imagine the quarterback play being as good as it was a year ago. They have great pieces and weapons around the quarterback, and I love their offensive mentality, even though they'll miss Jeff Levy, their offensive coordinator. 
the difficult thing when you rely so heavily on transfers to me and you have such turnover within the coaching staff is this team could be boom or bust. I could see them winning 10 games. I could see them winning five games. It could be that wide of a gap. I think they're one of the most difficult teams to pinpoint in the entire SEC just because there's so many new faces and it's going to be a completely different looking team from what they were coming off maybe the best season in school history last year after 10 wins and a trip to the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, the, you know, the beauty of college football, if you will, although there's two sides to that coin. I, I do know he'll keep things interesting in Oxford. Only Ohio State has averaged more yards per game than Ole Miss and Kiffin's two seasons with the Rebels. He loves those big plays and those big numbers. And now with Matt Carell off to the NFL, though, he may turn, as you mentioned, to former USC QB Jackson Dart. How about that for a QB name, by the way? to lead the Rebels in 2022. Among other impact transfers, Zach Evans, the former TCU running back, rushed for over 600 yards a year ago. And with former OC Jeff Levy off to Oklahoma, John David Baker steps in as the co-OC alongside Charlie Weiss Jr. So uh, you both you both touched on it, a lot to replace, not only in terms of the players, uh, but to Keo, as you pointed out, in terms of these coordinators. So Greg, uh, first though, how do you anticipate that quarterback battle shaking out in fall camp. Well, uh, not all that dissimilar to what we just talked about with Jaden Daniels and LSU. I, I have a hard time envisioning someone going and getting someone out of the portal if he didn't absolutely have to have him. And Jackson Dart had a pretty good year last year as a true freshman at SC, even though they went, you know, had one of their worst seasons in history. But don't sleep on Luke Altmaier. I think a lot of people have jumped to conclusions on what this young man's capable of because he didn't play well in the Sugar Bowl. But keep in mind, let's think about the circumstances of how he was thrust into the lineup that day. You have your heart and soul, your leader, go down after he decided to play in a bowl game. He hurts his ankle. Next thing you know, you're thrust in. And you got to play against the Baylor Bears, who are also extremely inspired yeah. to win the Sugar Bowl for the first time. And they're playing against a great defense. Dave Aranda-led defense, who's one of the best defensive minds college football so I think people have unfairly judged what Luke Altmaier might ultimately be because he had one bad game but over the course of an offseason when you're splitting reps as a starter whether it's quarterback linebacker doesn't matter the more reps you get the more comfortable you're going to feel so whoever the quarterback is they're probably going to be pretty dang good within this quarterback friendly offense no doubt and when I look at Jackson Dart you talk about people don't realize the importance of having great players to be able to come in and then understand and they're coming from certain circumstances right. and you look at him I like this fit because as, as we talked about earlier Ole Miss was an offense that averaged over 500 yards per game that was second in the, in the nation next to Ohio State and so now when you want to look at the pieces of the puzzle in order for Lane Kiffin to be able to have somebody back there and to continue that high-powered offense, stretch the football down the field, I think he is the guy to be able to do that, playing in only six games last right. year, 1,300 yards, nine touchdowns, and just six games. Yeah. So I think he is the best bet in, from my eyes. And honestly, too, Wendy, and, and, and to Keo, you know, this is the best thing for a quarterback is a good run game. You go out and you get the leading rusher from SMU, and you add Zach Evans, who was a unanimous five-star prospect coming out of high school, went to TCU, and now found his way to Oxford. So either way, whoever the quarterback is, he's going to have a really nice supporting cast and obviously a great offensive mind calling the plays. Yeah, that's a huge help. And, and I know this. I, I don't know if Jackson Dart gets the job, but I will say this. Unequivocally, there is no more Ole Miss quarterback-sounding name in the history of college football, right? Jackson Dart, <laughs> nice. like they called up Central Casting and said, "Send me, send me 
the perfect quarterback name for Ole Miss. Sort of like Takeo in college football live, if I do say yeah. so. <laughs> Still ahead on college football live, Kirk Herbstreet chimes in on what he thinks the future of college football will look like after another conference realignment. And plus, tough, bro. it is never too early to start looking at the Heisman you Trophy. We've got none other than Stanford Steve. He'll tell us who the smart money is to win college football's top individual award. He doesn't get his feathers ruffled very easily. The winner of the 2021 Heisman Memorial Trophy is Bryce Young. That's arm strength. That's just talent. Listen, the guy's got it all. season, Bryce Young took college football by storm and became the fourth Heisman Trophy winner in Alabama history. This season, Young returns to school for another chance at the sport's highest individual honor. But what do the odds makers think of his chances to repeat? Stanford Steve breaks down this season's Heisman Trophy favorites and who you should put your money on to be the winner. Two superstar quarterbacks headline the 2022 Heisman race. Bryce Young is the first reigning Heisman Trophy winner to return to school since Lamar Jackson in 2017. He is plus 350 to join Archie Griffin as the only two-time Heisman winner. But Young isn't the favorite. Stroud wants to throw for it. Downfield shot, he drops it, touchdown! The throw by C.J. Stroud? Are you kidding me? Ohio State's C.J. Stroud is the 2-1 to favorite after finishing fourth in the voting last year. Stroud is the largest preseason Heisman favorite in over a decade. The only other player with odds anywhere near Stroud and Young is USC's Caleb Williams. Williams in trouble, gets out of there again, throwing on the run, and it's caught for a touchdown. My, oh, my, Caleb Williams continues to entertain. The Oklahoma transfer is 10-1 to 1 as he reunites with former coach Lincoln Riley, who has produced two of the last five Heisman winners. But don't rule out players like Tyler Van Dyke from Miami or B. John Robinson from Texas. Five of the last seven winners entered the season with at least 20-1 to 1 odds, including Devontae Smith, who was 100-1 to 1 two years ago. My pick to win the Heisman Trophy this year Dylan Gabriel, quarterback, Oklahoma. Gabriel, gonna take a shot, has a man. Touchdown, Knights! You couldn't ask for a better start for that young man, Dylan Gabriel. As a true freshman in 2019 at UCF, Gabriel completed 60% of his passes while throwing for over 3,600 yards and 29 touchdowns. His offensive coordinator that year was Jeff Levy. Calling the plays for the Sooners this year, you guessed it, Jeff Levy. I expect Gabriel to put up monster numbers this year in Norman in returning with Levy. All right, we check out the latest Heisman odds from Caesars Sportsbook. C.J. Stroud currently a 2-1 to favorite to become Ohio State's first Heisman winner since Troy Smith. That was in 06. 
Alabama could become the first school to win three straight Heismans. If Bryce Young wins it, he'd become the first repeat winner since Archie Griffin nearly 50 years ago. And Stanford Steve's pick, by the way, the odds 40 to 1. You never know. Greg and Jordan back with us to talk a little Heisman. Greg, who's your favorite to take home the hardware? Well, my favorite C.J. Stroud. I know I'm going on a huge limb after you just heard Stanford whoa, Steve's whoa. full breakdown. I didn't know we were making picks after Steve's laying it all out, but I, it makes sense. I mean, he was the favorite heading into the Michigan game last year. Didn't play well in that game. As a result, he finishes a little bit down the list. But I think there's a reluctance amongst Heisman voters to vote for a guy twice. We've seen Tim Tebow come up short. We've seen uh, Lamar Jackson come up short after a repeat performance. We've seen a handful of guys like that that backed up what they did the previous year only to get pushed on down the list. You have to be so phenomenal, even more so than you were the previous year when you clearly were phenomenal because you won the Heisman Trophy. Right. <laughs> and even still, I think there's reluctance. So I think C.J. Stroud right now, if it's a two-horse race at the top as far as the odds-on favorites, I think he would be the one that I think most voters would consider because of Bama fatigue potential. I got to do the Rose Bowl. I mean, just seeing him with Jackson Smith and Jigma, I mean, the best receiver in the country. <laughs> right. He's going to be tough to beat. I'm going to go Caleb Williams. Look, Lincoln Riley is a Heisman quarterback machine, right? I yeah. think even if Caleb Williams wasn't coming and Jackson Dart was still there, we'd be talking about Dart. But Caleb Williams gets to go in their own system. He's familiar with Lincoln Riley. He gets the reset. He gets Jordan Addison from Pitt. Blitnikoff winner Mario Williams transfers from Oklahoma. I think there's a lot of hype. And just think about what he did in his first year. In the same system, what he can do in the second year with all the hype around him, all the talent that he has, I think he's got a really good chance. And I think USC is going to be very improved in a conference that has a few tough games, but vast majority you should be able to put up some good numbers. All right, Greg, you're right. You got to be phenomenal to win it. You got to be more phenomenal to win it again. So you don't have that problem, right, as a potential dark horse. You just got to come out of nowhere, surprise right. everybody. So who in your mind could be in the mix as a dark horse? Oh, I love this. Uh, I think this is a great pick. I feel good about it. Oh, yeah, I don't know what you're going to go with. Uh, I'm going with Will Shipley from Clemson, the running back, who uh, I think when you look at what Clemson became as the season went along last year, they started to realize, look, DJ Uyunglele, he's not Trevor Lawrence. He's not Deshaun Watson. He's not going to be able to carry us with his arm like our previous quarterbacks had. we got to run the football. So let's get back to ground and pound. We're going to play great defense. Let's feed this talented running back. And when you think of what Will Shipley can do in the passing game, it reminds me a little bit of Christian McCaffrey. Couple that with the fact that in order to win the Heisman Trophy, you have to be in the college football playoff conversation. And I expect a bounce back performance from Clemson. I expect him to win the ACC and to get to the college football playoff. Him being their best player gives him a real chance at it. So I think Will Shipley, the running back from Clemson. Love it. I actually went with a running back that's a two-way player as well. I'm going to go Jameer Gibbs. I love Georgia that. Tech transfer Very good. To Alabama. A couple reasons why. He's a dual-threat guy. He had 400-plus yep. receiving yards last year, over 700 rushing. But here's the thing. There's some new faces on the outside for Bryce Young. It may take a little time to mesh. I think he's going to get a lot of carries early, and I think he's going to be a big factor out of the backfield as a target for Bryce Young. If you look at what Najee Harris did two years ago, 30 touchdowns, over 400 receiving yards. I don't think it's a stretch to say that Jameer Gibbs could have 700 yards receiving and close to 1,000 yards rushing, 20 touchdowns or so. Yep. That's the case because Bryce Young already had it. People are going to vote for him. <laughs> Who's the next guy there right. on that roster that's going to be there at the end in the SEC championship? Championship, national championship 
could be Jameer like Gibbs. a Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush situation exactly. back to back. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Listen, you two, I, I don't know if it happens, but I, you're selling it. I mean, you, you're in mid-season form <laughs> with the confidence factor. I like it. Will Shipley, by the way, well, 75 every, to nothing, one. You can't be wrong well, right you, now. No, you can't. Like, you might as well just throw throw haymaker. <laughs> but if we are don't wrong, stop Wendy, now. don't come don't, back to don't this tape. Delete this tape. Yeah, All right, 100%. yeah, jump on in. The water is warm. <laughs> All right, how about this? We'll have a little fun with this because uh, why not? Again, this is preseason. On Sunday, Purdue showed us it would uh, take things old school. This is their homecoming helmet, okay, for September 24th. Uh, they will sport one of its earliest images of Purdue Pete. And so he's got a uh, sledgehammer in one hand, a football in the other. I mean, what could possibly go wrong? Is, that, is that Purdue Pete? He's been yeah. hitting the gym like Tim Tebow. I'm just say. straight arm farm <laughs> well, in the gym, pearls <laughs> only. We've had Purdue evolution, Pete. right? Everybody's gotten bigger. You yeah. know, it's like Purdue that's Pete was very barrel chested. Now Skipped he's a few now days, he's a little bit a little bit more top heavy. Yeah, well, I think we, that was he, he probably like does yoga look. now. You know, we've gone for a leaner <laughs> right. look these days. That was like right. bulked up Purdue Pete. But anyway, I love it. It's like Jeff Saturday then and Jeff Saturday now. Yeah, I can dig that (laughs) for sure. Uh, We got a long way to go here on College Football Live. Stay with us. Uh, Still to come, Uh, Purdue though could use the good karma. So could we. How about the SE teams taking the stage today? Can Ole Miss Miss reach double digits? When we'll play a little over under. Show you some schedules when we come back. you can have moments in a game where you're at your best and uh, it's always been said you know you fall to the level of your training if your training is at a high level then that's that's not a very far far fall you're either elite or you're not you're elite you're elite or we elite it's time to find out don't tell me about it don't talk about it about it the kobe dean at the 50 with all fades with him off it's an automatic pylon so your landmark is the pylon, and it's pylon four yards back away from the defender. Stetson Bennett in the shotgun. Play fake to Zamir, going for the end zone here. Bennett unloads. Yeah! Touchdown! He fell down out of the side of the end zone. Over the shoulder. Terrific catch. Trust me, guys. Do not fall victim to the disease. We're too good. We can't be beat. AD don't believe it. They're going to tell you that. We're not practicing to beat Somebody, we're practicing to everybody. Oh, 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 my goodness. Jordan Davis launching down the ground. A new ground and intercepted. Georgia's championship run tonight, 7 Eastern on the SEC Network. Meanwhile, day one of the SEC Football Media Days kicked off today. The first of four, by the way, from the College Football Hall of Fame in Atlanta. As you might imagine, as it has been, one of the hottest topics in all of college football right now, college realignment. SEC right there in the middle of it. The news last year came. Oklahoma and Texas will leave the Big 12 and join the SEC in 2025. Here's SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey. The great news for the Southeastern Conference is that people call and say, hey, you're doing something really special, and they kind of hit around the edges. Um, as, I, as I went through, we know who we are. 
Um, we're, we're confident in our success. We're really looking forward to the, the expansion and being at 16 teams and don't feel pressure to just operate at a number. Uh, but we'll, we'll watch what happens around us and, and be thoughtful but be nimble. I'm proud to say, in my view, and I think in the view of our entire membership, the Southeastern Conference is stronger now than at any other time in our history. We're poised to grow to 16 members on July 1st, 2025. We've not had any of their coaches involved in our meeting, so I saw Mike Gundy was concerned they're taking notes and running to us. We've not, yeah. I, I haven't seen any notes from Big 12 meetings. We have a transition plan focused on their July 2025 entry where the year prior, um, all of their meeting participation ramps up to what would become normal, effective upon that entry date. Well, he's both thoughtful and nimble. Our college football senior writer, Pete Thamel, who joins us live from Atlanta. Pete, you certainly heard what the commissioner had to say. I know you were also hearing uh, different things about the process of OU in Texas joining the SEC. What can you tell us? Well, Wendy, I think the Oklahoma and Texas situation is, is a simple one. They have three seasons, if you will, football seasons remaining on that deal. Two of those seasons, uh, ESPN is not the primary broadcaster of them, and the third one it is. So it would just make logical sense if they are to leave early, it would only be by one year. Uh, there's nothing imminent about that process happening, but there has been a sense of more of an openness to it. Brett Yormark, the new Big 12 commissioner, mentioned that at Big 12 Media Days. And look, it would be four seasons since they announced it. That's a slog. That's a long time. And if given some truths here, I think the athletic directors at Oklahoma and Texas would, would like to get it over with. Uh, Greg Sankey would certainly like them in the league, but he is clinging defiantly to the company line, which is, that's not my decision. That's their decision, and it's a league decision, and they will wait until an option is maybe perhaps presented to them in the future. Uh, that is uh, because of tortious interference and trying to avoid it. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. OU and Texas, just two pieces, though, of a much larger puzzle when you look at conference realignment and all of college football. And earlier today on First Take, Kirk Herbstreit gave his thoughts on what he thinks it will ultimately look like when all the dust settles. I think there's a good chance we're going to end up with three power conferences with right around 20 teams. And what I want to know is what will happen to the teams that are left out of those 55 to 60 teams that ultimately are going to kind of be in this new, this new world that we're headed towards where college football playoff is, is kind of dictating it. Pete, you have an article on ESPN.com today about the future of conference realignment. How do you expect things to unfold here in the next few years? Well, I, I think, Wendy, right now we're in, a, we're in a bit of a pause. So we're in the consulting phase, if you will, where people are running numbers and different models to see what financially makes sense. Uh, what I wrote today on ESPN.com is once those models are run, the next logical move is for the ACC, which you could argue is the strongest of the remaining three, to make a play to get stronger, be predatory, if you will. And is that a Western wing where they go out and, and arrange something with Oregon, Washington, Cal, Stanford. It would be a good play in terms of the ACC network bring it into new markets. Um, and, and it's sort of the only logical play from a financial standpoint in, in, in that the other two leagues are not operating from the same position of strength that the ACC is. You know, one wild card here is Notre Dame. And earlier today, Brian Kelly, the former coach at Notre Dame, uh, was asked about the Irish's future with regards to conference realignment. Here's what he had to say. 
haven't been at Notre Dame for quite a while. Would you be surprised if they joined a conference, or do you think they'll stay independent and just what do you think of their philosophies toward that? You know, certainly Notre Dame still is, you know, a, a coveted, you know, uh, university in terms of, you know, what conference would want them. Um, you know, Jack Swarbrick knows what he's doing. He's got his, his ear to the ground. They're, they're going to land into a good position no matter what they do, whether they stay independent or whether they go into the, you know, one of the other conferences. You know, Notre Dame can, can carry itself pretty good. Pete, how does Notre Dame fit into this puzzle? Well, Wendy, I think that the next mile markers to watch for Notre Dame, unless there is just a flurry of dominoes that fall amid realignment, is to look at what's left in the contracts, right? There's four years left on Notre Dame's NBC deal, and there's also four years left on the college football playoff deal. And those would be the two North Stars to what Notre Dame would look like going forward. So about two years from now, that NBC deal or whatever deal Notre Dame would get is going to come into a clearer picture. And about two years from now, we're going to have a pretty good sense of what the college football playoff looks like. If Notre Dame's future TV deal is lucrative and there is access to the playoff, I don't see them changing conferences. If the situation so radically changes where playoff access requires Notre Dame to enter a league, I think that's when you'd see them do it. All right, Pete Thamel, we look forward to a great season. We will talk with you again tomorrow. As always, much appreciated. And speaking of tomorrow, tomorrow night at 9 o'clock Eastern on ESPN, our College Football Live summer kickoff. You'll hear from players and coaches and dig into some season win totals and break down everything you need to know as we get set to head into the 2022 season. Meanwhile, though, still to come on this Monday edition of College Football Live, some win totals of our own, over, under, if you will, brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook. thought that this game would be 16 to 16 after 60 minutes of football. Little reverse. Whittemore to throw to Jones. Touchdown! Beatty up to 133 yards on the ground. They'll give it to him again here. Quick hitter off the left side. Beatty to the end zone. Touchdown, Missouri. You go to your best player or do you go where you know all eyes will be on your best player? Bazelak in trouble, lofts it up to the end zone. They got it, touchdown, tied in. Daniel Parker, and this one is in the books. Missouri wins it by one. Oh, the Mizzou-Florida rematch set for October 8th. It is year three for Coach Eli Drinkwitz at Missouri. His Tigers open against Louisiana Tech before visiting their former Big 12 rivals at Kansas State. Mizzou visits Auburn, but aside from their home finale against Arkansas, the Tigers avoid the toughest teams from the SEC West this season. Here's more from Drinkwitz. Man, I'm so excited about entering year three at the University of Missouri. Although we've had changes in both staff and players, there is a continuity to our program. There's a foundation to the program that we have and instilled. There is a, this is how we do it around here. There's an understanding of what it's going to take to have and train with an elite edge with Coach Russell. We've added 19 transfers to our program to, to balance our roster from people that have left, but also to uh, increase the competition. We signed the highest-ranked recruiting class in school history for the last two seasons, and we looked for that increased talent to uh, increase the style of play that we're going to have. 
Greg McElroy and Takeo Spikes back with us now. We'll do a little over-under win totals on the SEC teams we heard from today. All of these numbers, by the way, courtesy of Caesar Sportsbook. And we'll start with Greg and then Takeo for each of these. Uh, Greg, obviously we'll start right there with Missouri. Over-under, five wins. I'm going to go over. Uh, they have four right out of the gate with three non-conference games, and they have Vanderbilt at home. So I think that's four. You also have a chance to go on the road to Kansas State early in that game. Difficult road trip. But if they can pull off two upsets along the way, man, I like their chances. This is a team that will have firepower. Defensively, I have legitimate questions. But I do think they'll be able to score. And in a league right now, especially the SEC East, where teams two through six are almost indecipherable, it wouldn't be shocked if they knocked off a team or two that most people aren't expecting at this point. Takeo? And when I, look at, when I look at Missouri, look, their schedule ranks in the top 25. It's one of the hardest schedules in the nation, right? We talk about the turnover on the defensive side. You talk about the coaches coming in. You heard Coach Drink talk about, hey, we got new guys coming in trying to create a new culture. I do not think that's going to jail well, especially on the defensive side. You're already at a disadvantage. I know y'all, you guys, offensive guys, love to disagree, <laughs> but you have to react. And in this case, you're bringing new guys, new faces, yeah. learning new terminology, even though you're saying you're going to keep it the same. That's the reason why I picked them as under. All right, Missouri, by the way, hasn't won five games in a standard eight-game SEC schedule since 2014, its third season in the league. Greg? Uh, let's go to Oxford, shall we? Ole Miss over under seven wins. I'm going to take the under here. I just think there's too many new faces, too many new pieces that will be stepping in. I'm not 1,000% convinced right now that the quarterback play is going to be anywhere near where it was last year. I think they'll be fine there. I think they'll score a lot of points. But defensively, they still have a few things they need to iron out in the front seven. So I'm going to take the under. I think seven's more likely. But it, it's a little bit of a toss-up because, like I said earlier, Takeo, this team, I could also see winning 10, but I could see them winning 5 as well. It could really fall anywhere in between. So I would take the under knowing that that's right there in the middle at 7. And I am picking the over. You look at the first four games against Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, all four games are non-conference games. Mm -hmm. I truly believe by going inside of the portal, bringing guys over, now they have a chance to develop. And when you develop guys, confidence comes from that. And I think these guys have a great opportunity with, with Jackson there at the quarterback to be able to take off and get over. All right, guys, that was seven and a half for Ole Miss. They, they haven't won. They won ten games last season, by the way. They haven't won ten games back-to-back -back season in over six decades. So, I mean, you know, now's a good time. Uh, it's actually seven and a half, if you will, for LSU. Brian Kelly is first year, Greg, over under seven and a half for LSU. Seven. I'm seven. taking the over. I'm sure. We got all our numbers mixed up. Uh, yeah, it's all. I'm taking the over. You could put it at seven and a half, too. I'm taking the over. I, I like this LSU team. I like this roster. If the quarterback will be just fine. I think they'll be able to score some points. And I also think, too, last year, this team really wasn't that bad. I mean, they, they had did some things that really for the most part, unrecognizable. They were awful against the pass. They couldn't run the football. I think both those things get rectified, and I think they can get to eight. You look at how that schedule sets up, it's difficult, but there's plenty of games that are winnable on the schedule, especially at home. I think they can easily get off to a 4-0 start. they got to play well against Florida State. they got to play well against Mississippi State. But 4-0 is well within reason. No one knows what to make of Auburn. Could potentially start 5-0 if Auburn isn't playing well at Easy. least at that point. They've seen it's possible. And then Tennessee comes to your place, so I think they can get over that. And I actually think they're going to start out very, very nicely there in the first five or six games of the year. I'm going to pick over as well. Yeah. And, and the reason why you look at the first four games, 
right? The first four games are in the state of Louisiana, regardless if it's a home game or not. I think that's going to breed confidence, and I'm putting a lot of stock into head coach Brian Kelly. I think what he's going to come back and instill in the LSU kids is structure, discipline, and reminding them of how great they are as athletes right there inside of the boot in the state of Louisiana. So he's going to win that recruiting battle. I picked them as over. All right, LSU has won just 11 games over the last two seasons after going 15-0 in that national title season. That's, of course, why they have a new head coach who's trying to set that new tone. We shall see. And we'll do this again the rest of the week as we keep going through SEC Media Days today, just the first of four. Uh, Coach Saban is on the docket center stage tomorrow. He'll join us from Atlanta. We'll talk about what we expect to hear. Tomorrow night, 9 o'clock Eastern on ESPN, our college football live summer kickoff. We will have everything you need to know as we get set to head into the 2022 season. Again, day two tomorrow from Atlanta uh, of Four days of SEC Media Days. You'll hear from head coach Nick Saban. Fellas, listen, Greg, they told everybody you got to play nice in the sandbox these days. Greg Sankey said, uh, you know, toe the company line. What do you expect to hear from Nick Saban? No, I think he's going to really ask for really guardrails uh, when it comes to the NIL regulations. He's great on big picture topics, so I anticipate a lot of big picture discussion from Nick Saban tomorrow. There's going to be a few headlines, right? Nick Saban's the godfather of college football. Right. He's the, the wise <laughs> one that would go for all the answers, so there will be questions about NIL. We heard Lane Kiffin talk about it, the bad part about it, and there will be questions about expansion. Interesting to see what he says. Everybody's talking about it. We'll talk about it tomorrow. See you then.